we take a moment to give folks um, a chance to just share uh, what God's been doing in your life. I know that's a little bit different for us on a Sunday morning setting, but I just want to give you the opportunity. I'm not asking for you to come up here. I'm not asking for you to talk in the microphone. You can just stand where you're seated and just share with us what has God been doing in your life. And we'll just take a handful of folks that want to share. So you respond to that question. What has God been doing in your life? at work at the hospital. Beautiful. I just want to just give praise to the Lord. Um, thank everyone for prayers, walking us through a, a difficult time that has culminated in surgery and And we do appreciate those prayers, believe me. That has sustained our family. I, you know, if you are a part of Hebron, you are a part of a family. Um, and that has, that has certainly borne itself out in our lives over the last number of weeks. So, again, we thank you. Um, we are in a series going through looking at the great man of God, Job. And today we come to the conclusion of that series. Um, and so I just wanted to share a short sermon today. Believe it or not, y'all are going to get a shorter sermon uh, than usual, and so our text comes from uh, Job chapter 38, we'll be reading verses 1 through 4, and Job has been waiting for 37 chapters now for God to speak, and finally God speaks after everybody else has been heard, we heard from Job, we heard from his spouse, his wife, we heard from his four friends, and now we get to hear from God himself on the matter. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, Job chapter 38, verses 1 through 4. Here we go. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. You may be seated. All right, so I want to walk through these verses, and this will help um, just kind of a set the tone for the next couple of chapters, and we'll kind of just breeze through some of these. So starting at verse 1, it says, And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, a whirlwind being a very bad storm. 
So God shows up in might. God shows up in power. Oftentimes in scripture, God shows up as this still, small voice. Uh, Jesus goes off onto the mountainside, and he's just there calmly and quietly with the Father. But this is one of those occasions in scripture when God the Father shows up, and he comes in in a whirlwind, a literal mega storm. And so this has got Job's attention. We imagine that he's probably not fixated on his itching boils at this very moment. It says in verse 2, God speaks, and here's what he says. Who is this that darkens or obscures my counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, God is saying here, Job, you're speaking out of your ignorance. You're speaking out of a bank of, of, of knowledge that, uh, that's just bereft, that's empty of real true answers. And so God tells him, hey, look, you're just, you've been misguided by this. And so Job's not able to see the big picture. Job is not able to see God's, from God's vantage point. Now, in the verses that follow, God draws a clear contrast between his eternal omnipotent self and little mortal Job. God accomplishes this by asking question after question after question. Everything that God says, chapter 38, chapter 39, chapter 40, chapter 41, they're all questions. And God's just peppering Job with questions to try and bring his head around, to try and bring his perspective around to how God sees things. And so let me give you an example of some of these questions. He's, well, like he said in verse 2, he said, Who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Here's some more of the questions he asked. Verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, were, were you born then? Were you around when the world was created? I was, God's saying, but I don't believe that you were there. He says in verse 16, Have you entered into the springs of the sea? In other words, have you walked along, he says, into the recesses of the deep? God says, I have. I've been five miles down at the bottom of the ocean. Have you been there before, Job? No, I didn't think so. Verse 18, have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Can you see it, Job, from your vantage point on the earth? Can you look out across the broad plain of all of the world and see all of it at once? No, Job, you just see things in a very finite way. You just see things from your small little corner of the world. So again, there is, there is God. And then there is Job, okay? That's the picture that God is painting here. He says, um, have, you ex have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it to me. Tell me about it. If you know all of this, like if you see all this, then you tell me all about the things going on across the world. Verse 31, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Referring there to some of the constellations, God is saying, I can do that. I can loose the constellations. I can tie up the constellations. I set them in place. Can you do that, Job? Well, the answer is, of course not. Verse chapter 39 and verse 1. Do you know when the mountain goat gives birth? Job, you're slumbering over there in your bed. You're digging in your garden. You're, 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 you're watching TV at night. I don't know, we didn't have that back then. But watching the campfire, whatever it was that they watched uh, to pass the time. But God says, while you're doing those things, while you're sleeping, while you're reading the Bible, while you're praying, wh whatever it is that you're doing, mountain goats are giving birth. Uh, the calves or the does are being brought into the world. Are you aware of when that happens? God says, I am. Verse 26, it is by your understanding that the, is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? In other words, who tells the hawk how to do that? Do you, Job? Do you instruct the hawk instinctually how to fly and soar across the air in all of its majesty? He says in verse 27, is it your, at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest up on high, up on the tall rocky cliffs? 
You see, there is God, and then there is Job. There are many more examples like this all through uh, these chapters where God reminds Job, where God demonstrates to Job the difference between himself as the almighty, omnipotent God of the universe and little mortal Job. God is pointing out to Job, giving him a sense of the grandeur of who the God of the universe is. Um, When we gaze through a telescope, right, and look out into the stars or look at the moon, we begin to get a sense of the majesty of this, the great expanse of this universe in which we live. I I saw something just this past week that was talking about inside of the Big Dipper. You all familiar with the Big Dipper? You can find the Big Dipper in the the sky. If if it's ever nighttime, we're out here in the parking lot, I'll point it out since we have trouble. But um, anyhow, the Big Dipper is this great expanse of the sky. The cup of the Big Dipper is like this really dark patch in the sky, at least by the naked eye. But if you gaze through a telescope, there are thousands of galaxies inside of the cup of the Big Dipper itself that we can't even see. I mean, the grand expanse of the universe. And so, uh, same thing with a microscope, right? So, draw it all down. Look at the building blocks of life. Look at the engines of life that are there for us to behold underneath of a microscope. Suddenly, our wisdom and our intelligence begin to look a little silly. If we compare ourselves to one another, maybe we look smart. But if we compare ourselves to Almighty God, there is no comparison. Finally, God says in Job chapter 40 and verse 1, Shall a fault finder, Job, contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer. Job, you've been begging me for answers. You've been asking me why for quite a long time now. Since you seem to have lots of ideas, why don't you tell me? Why don't you explain to me all of these answers to these questions I just posed? When we get to Job chapter 42, we see Job's response. Remember, Job has been looking for answers to the question why. He's had his four friends that have come along, and they've proposed their ideas of why all these terrible things have happened. And so uh, Job says, here's here's his response, Job chapter 42 and verse 3. Who is this? that hides counsel or obscures God's counsel without knowledge. Job asks the same question that God had asked of him at the beginning of this whole dialogue. Uh, Who is this that shows up and offers to give me counsel? Who is this, Job asks. And he's, so basically he's acquiescing now to God's point. And the point is, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to comprehend. Things which I did not know. In other words, upon seeing the grandeur of God, God realizes that there is a power running the universe that is wholly capable and that has all things under control. And that if this God believed that Job needed to suffer, if this God who is running everything and sees everything that goes on, and one sparrow falls from the sky and God doesn't miss it, we do, but he does. This God believed Job needed to suffer, and Job says, so be it. God has a bigger view of life and a bigger view of what needs to be done than Job does. In other words, Job trusts God. Well, uh, that brings us, that's the end of our text for today. So that means it's time for us to ask that question we ask every week around here. I've got two, two what differences this makes to your life and to mine. Number one. The first thing that Job realizes here at the end of the story as God reveals to Job who he is, he realizes that, you know what? God 
has capable hands. God has capable hands. He is the God of the universe. He sees the end from the beginning. I've got a picture for you here, and this shows um, a parade that happened in Athens just a, about a month ago. Some of y'all were there. You may even see yourself. Yeah, I think I was right there by that light post. Um, but this is Lumpkin Street, and so the parade was heading down Lumpkin Street to celebrate the Bulldogs and their national championship. Um, as you're looking down the long road and you see up the hill, there's parts of the parade that you and I can't see. I mean, if we're just standing there and the parade's going by us, you know, we see Coach Smart go by, we see several of the players go by, we see several of the other coaching staff and support staff going by, and we're waving at one another, and the you know, kids are running out and getting autographs in the football, autographs in the jersey, whatever. And there's all sorts of goings on right there where we're at. But this is kind of how life works. This is kind of how human history works. You and I can look back to the thing, parts of the parade that have already gone by, the parts of life that have already gone by. We can pick up a history book. We can read about things. We can learn about things that have already happened in the world. But God, from his vantage point, looks down on the whole parade. He sees not only what's gone by, what we know about, but he also sees what's coming. And Job realizes that the God who can see the end from the beginning is a God whose hands are very capable. And this is why Job is able to trust God. Uh, number two, second difference that this makes uh, to your life and to mine is for us to take notice that God's response to Job satisfies Job, and therefore it should satisfy us. Did you notice that? You know, the philosophers throughout history have railed against God's answer. What do you mean you just told him who you were? That's not enough. Job's been asking why. Why has this happened? Explain it to me. Friends, if God was to tell us why, oftentimes those responses, those answers really wouldn't satisfy us. Because, again, we don't see the world. We don't see history from God's vantage point. But the answer that God gave to Job was an answer that satisfied Job. God never tells Job about the contest with the adversary. God never explains to Job how the story would one day land in Scripture. Friends, is Job concerned about all of that? Sure. But once he gets a glimpse of who God is, the reason why all these things have happened becomes unnecessary. In 1970, um, a revival broke out at the college that Claire and I attended, uh, a place called Asbury College, now Asbury University. And this revival lasted for seven straight days, went all through the night, seven straight days. Some of you have been following in the news uh, that this revi another revival, similar revival, has sprung up. Same place, Asbury, on February the 8th of this year. And it's still going on. February the 8th, today's what? 19th. Still going on through the night. People... Uh, gathering up, and you can see some pictures here, people gathering up in what's called Hughes Auditorium. It's an auditorium that holds about 1,500 people. And folks are just packing that place out day and night, night and day. They want to come into the presence of God. We all show up at that place with asking the question, why? Why have the things that have happened in my life happened? God, what are you trying to do? What, what's happening here? God, you explain to me. But when we get into God's presence, all of those answers become unnecessary. One of the hallmarks of these great revivals that have taken place, not just 
at Asbury, but uh, throughout human history. One of the great hallmarks of it is a call to repentance. Is people, I mean, students have been lining the altar rail at the front of Hughes Auditorium, repenting of sin, begging God for his forgiveness, agreeing with what God thinks, and saying, God, I know I haven't got this squared. So, God, I'm here to say that I, I've tried to make things that you say were wrong right, and I've realized how wrong I really am. And so they have turned to God in repentance, and then God's Holy Spirit has flooded their heart, flooded their soul, flooded that place and everybody that was there, and continues to. This morning, uh, before we come to communion, the scriptures tell us that before we come and receive the Lord's Supper, that we need to prepare our hearts. We need to take a time to examine ourselves before the Lord, a time to repent of sin that is in our life. And so this morning, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And for the first minute or so, it'll just be silent prayer. And I'm going to ask uh, Tyler, he's going to come and play for a little bit. And as we just have this time of quiet, I'm just going to ask if you would, just seated there where you're at, bow your head, close your eyes, and just pray. And let the Lord know, hey, look, God, I, I know that I haven't gotten it all squared. And I know that I haven't done everything that you've asked of me. And so I'm, I'm, I'm here, God, to repent of individual sin in my life. And then I'm going to lead us in a prayer, a prayer of repentance for Christ's church, for how the church of God has turned things that God says are not right, and we've tried to make it right. And then Kenny's going to lead us in a prayer for repentance of our nation. Let's bow our heads together.